0: Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have another exciting guest, and that is Stu Phillips. This is the first time he has been on the show, but he's been on my list for a long, long time. He is a prolific researcher and has done some amazing work covering things like protein, supplementation, and these are some of the things and topics that we dig into. We dig into HMB, BCAAs, EAAs, all of that sort of stuff and collagen too. So you can look forward to us chatting in depth about some of these things and questions that pop up all the time. And I wanna let you guys know because this is basically your last chance. If you're considering a mini cut in future and you would like some guided group coaching where we can have Zoom calls each week, you want to sign up to the mini cut movement where we're gonna be helping a group of people shed fat fast. So definitely check out the link in the description and sign up to that soon because it's gonna be launching very, very shortly. So guys, without anything else, let's get into the episode. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Stu Phillips on the podcast. I think a lot of you will know Stu. You'll have at least heard the name, I think. And actually, he's been on my list to come on the podcast. I mean for probably years actually uh so i finally pulled my finger out and actually brought him on which i'm really excited uh, to actually talk to him and the reason you you may know about him is because he's been prolific within particularly like protein uh, and his research is focused on the impact of nutrition and exercise on mechanisms of human skeletal muscle protein turnover and he is interested in diet and exercise induced changes in body composition so he's currently got more than thirty two thousand career citations and 250 research and review papers, which that's why I say pretty damn prolific so you probably have read one of his papers or another paper that has definitely referenced him so I'm very excited to be talking to you Stu. How are things with you
1: yeah good uh, well look first thanks for having me on the show it's uh, it's always a pleasure to uh, get some of the the gospel out there and uh, hopefully uh, convince some people. Uh, around things like exercise and its benefits and diet and all that sort of thing but uh, you know I'm really uh, I want to just say that uh, I'm the person who gets to give these sorts of shows and I stand sort of at the top and people say wow you're amazing and I'm like you know what there are a lot of people underneath me if that's the right word uh, but postdocs, grad students, undergrads uh, who you know without them nothing happens, So, uh, I might appear to be the leader, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely part of a team and that uh, those are the people that really do the hard work. So all those, uh, sort of pseudo aggressive numbers are, are really a testimony to their hard work. I I just get to bask in their reflected (laughs) hard work. So,
0: (laughs) Well, that's very humble of you. And yeah, fantastic. And actually, I thought it would be a nice intro as this is the first time you've been on the podcast. Just to give a bit of background about how did you get where you are today in research? Uh, I know that could be a very long story, but if you have uh, maybe some cliff notes or yeah, how did you become so interested in what you're doing uh, and, and got as far as you have in your career?
1: Yeah, uh, so I think it's it's sort of something like this. So I've told this story and I, and I kind of I mean, it's sort of the same version, but it, sometimes I, sk- I skip parts. But, you know, when I was a kid, uh, anything around science uh, really you know pushed my intellectual buttons. Uh, my parents were very supportive. And I was just mentioning you before the show, uh, I was born and, and grew up in, in England, uh, moved from the UK to Canada when I was 13 one of the things I remember probably my 11th or 12th birthday, my, my uh, mom and dad got me uh, a science kit. One of these things you pull out all these, you know, and so, and I got a, a chemistry kit and and all these sorts of things. And I, I can remember looking down this little plastic microscope when I was a kid at, you know, like a twig or uh, a squashed ant and probably I squashed it <laughs> yeah, you know? um, and thinking like, this is cool like I just I, I couldn't stop talking about it like I just it, so something lit up in my brain I thought it was really neat and you know fast forward to university I did my undergraduate in biochemistry in Canada at McMaster actually and um, it, everything was great and I, I thought I was on a path to going into medicine everything in Canada is what we call postgraduate medicine. and I know you have some programs like that in the UK, so it's not an undergraduate degree. Uh, you have to have something before that. And last year uh, of my undergraduate, uh, I was playing rugby because that was my, probably my favorite sport growing up. I did play ice hockey and that was probably a very close second. So a perfect English Canadian blend, uh, but I broke my leg playing rugby. And I, and I couldn't, so I couldn't play in my last year. Uh, So, and I had lots of time on my hand because I was, you know, crutching around. It really depressed me to go to practice. Mm. So I decided to stay away even from that aspect. I went to watch the games, but so I took a thesis, a senior thesis in my, my fourth year. Um, I fell in love with a lab. I fell in love with research. Uh, I think at, at, at certain points, I always thought about maybe doing medicine, but I just, couldn't really see it, you know, the the further you go into research, the more you get into it. And the more you think like, I can't pull myself out of this. But if you'd have told me that um, I'd end up as a university professor, uh, I would have laughed probably even up until the day I got my job uh, here uh, in 1998. And then uh, I think now it's all the rest is history, you know, yeah. I, I'm here and I'm, I'm loving it. I can't believe I've been here as long as I have, but it's, it's been a very rewarding uh, career uh, and not that it's over. Um, I I have a great and supportive, uh, amazing, and uh, re- way above me in terms of the university seniority spouse, uh, who also is a scientist who I collaborate with and uh, people will usually wouldn't know because we don't share the same last name. Uh, but it's really, it's really been a, a a wonderful combination of, uh, just fortunistic events and being in the right place at the right time, luck, call it whatever you will. But, um, I've been blessed and and truly lucky to, to have these things happen to me and not all of them seemed like the greatest thing at the time. Uh, definitely breaking your leg. in mm. the last year you were supposed to play was a, a tough blow, but, um, yeah you know bad things sometimes happens for for good reasons, so call it fake, kismet, you know higher power. I don't know, but it's uh it seems to have worked out well
0: for sure. Uh, I can only imagine the sort of discussions that happen in your house with uh, two scientists <laughs> going back and forth and probably pushing one yeah. another to get yeah, smarter we, we and a, push.
1: We have certain rules around boundaries about what we can and can't okay. talk about. So there's, uh, you know, it can't be completely work. Uh, but we do it, We do share some things. She's higher up the administrative ladder, as I said. And, and so actually, uh, you know, confession here is that she's not just my boss. She's actually my boss's boss so uh, so indirectly she's my boss and so it just it's a seamless transition from the universe the uh yes dr. McDonald to home yeah. you know, where it's like yes dear and you know so it it works out well uh you know I'm super proud of uh, what she's been able to do and uh, I know for uh, like a hands down fact I couldn't do what she does so uh, she's privy to things that she can't tell me um, uh, but but we share enough that we uh, we can have a good laugh and at the same time have a good cry when things get really yeah. drastic so
0: <laughs> there's that's great anyway because i call uh, my girlfriend i call her the boss so she's the boss <laughs>
1: it, it's uh it, i think it's just a, you know men learning to work within you yeah. know a, a woman's sort of confines of what uh, she thinks is the way that we think we should do things and uh, you know, it's been 24 years of marriage, and uh, and I think I'm still learning, but but I'm getting. <laughs> we
0: we'll get there one day, so yeah, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, we get frontal <laughs> lobe closure, and men, you know, grow up, right? So. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the the question I wanted to start with actually is, uh, I don't know how in depth a question it will be, but it's one that springs up all the time that I see out there on social media, and I'm not sure. I know I have found somewhere that has a really good answer for it. So Mm -hmm. this is considering uh, protein recommendations per body weight. And people often ask and wonder, is that total protein covering all like the protein you get from your bagel, your pasta, uh, your veggies, all of this, or is it just higher quality protein? So when we're referencing kind of numbers within research for recommendations, what are we talking about there exactly? Could you, could you answer that, Stu?
1: Yeah. So the recommend, so the, the, RNI in the UK, the RDA, so the recommended nutrient intake, the recommended dietary allowance, um, and I'm going to pick a semantic fight right off the, uh, off the top is that I could agree with the RDA of 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight if it was called the MDI. In other words, it's the minimum dietary intake, which is what I think it should be called because it covers um, losses to prevent deficiency. And the RNI is the same sort of thing in the UK, so and the numbers are virtually identical. So I think when you go and look at the definitions, what you would see is they say proteins of high—they generally refer to biological value. Um, so you know everybody it springs to mind, and it's a truism uh, that animal-based proteins are higher in quality than plant-based proteins. But you know the reality is is that a lot of plant-based proteins still have Relatively high biological value. Now, if I take you out of our, you know, well-developed Western cultures and put you in a in a society in uh, South America, uh, deep in a in a rainforest or in sub-Saharan Africa, and you're subsisting on the local root vegetable and only that, like you don't you you have limited access to animal protein. Um, You don't kill your goat or sheep because that yields milk, but that's important protein too. Um, Then it's more of a problem because it's low quality protein, almost exclusively. But mixed Western and even in developing nations uh, diets uh, would be mostly considered to be high biological value protein. So, you know, to me, it's all protein. Everything counts. Like when you add it up. Um, The only things that detract from that biological uh, value uh, would be the fiber content of plants, uh, which if it's high, it's fundamentally anti-nutritional and it slows down and blocks some protein absorption, and then the quality of the proteins. But if you're consuming a mixed diet, so if you're an omnivore, chances are you're all good. If you're a lacto-ovo vegetarian, no problems. If you're a vegan... I think you just have to be judicious about how you plan your diet. And, um, you know, it's it's not impossible. It's a very healthy way to eat. It's just more difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, a lot of vegans especially vegan bodybuilders have begun to understand how they need to combine certain proteins to get you towards what an animal protein uh, kind of protein quality would look like there. Uh, Out of interest, the only thing that crops up sometimes in my kind of work is people who have just crazy carbohydrate intakes. So they're just on like huge amount of calories, just like this person, their metabolism is just crazy, what have you. And in those cases, they get a lot of these maybe their diet starts looking less and less like like a omnivore it looks more like a a vegan because there's just such quantities of bread and things do you think in those sort of situations it's worth just maybe putting in a little bit more protein just to keep the quality kind of as a whole higher
1: yeah so um three quick answers to that question um one I have three sons. The oldest of which is I call him a starchitarian, So he's like your <laughs> like he seems like everything is pasta and bread and rice and not and the saving grace he doesn't eat a lot of meat uh, and he eats vegetables. He has favorites, obviously, but he drinks like literally gallons of milk. He's 22, so he's actually he come he came home for the summer from university, and all of a sudden I'm like I can't keep milk in the house, so it's... <laughs> um so I I know the type of person you're talking about uh my answer to this uh, question uh and confession like hot off the press uh two weeks ago would have been different than it is now so I'll just tell you really really briefly um Don Lehman who's a very good friend of mine protein researcher you've probably seen him out there on social media uh he's a retired professor from University of Illinois Pointed me to a paper from uh, that he collaborated with a former PhD student uh, of his, and um, uh, her name is Devkota, and I can't remember her last name. Anyway, what they showed in mice, so take it for what you will, is that actually um, insoluble fiber from you know from grains and and vegetables and everything, was an important prebiotic substrate for your gut microbiota that can produce essential amino acids. So it may be that, and that's almost ruminant-like, because cows essentially upcycle grass, grass, which we can't eat, which is just full of cellulose, and their gut microbiome through their four sort of stomachs that they have is able to get turned into beef, and that's like, you know, a a cow is an astonishing biological example of what we call protein upcycling, and so it appears that uh, vegans, or at least vegan mice, um, have this capacity. They develop and grow a gut microbiome to provide the essential amino acids that they need. So the long and short is is that I don't know that that's an optimal way to eat, if you're wanting to gain muscle or fuel, uh, you know, some sort of performance. But human physiology is so variable, and I've learned this, you know, by trial and error and just listening to examples and uh, getting anecdotes of people that do things that defy. What we think is normal physiology, and so I, I you know, I, I mean, when we look at our our human genome and the variabilities in certain little polymorphisms of you know, certain proteins throughout there, there probably are some people that thrive on very high carbohydrate diets. Uh, there was a tribe discovered in uh, you know the deeper uh, Amazonian jungle years ago. Um, when, unfortunately, the Western civilizations were colonizing Brazil, and uh, they subsisted on a diet that was about 95, 96 percent carbohydrate. But they were—they paddled like crazy every day to hunt. They climbed trees. They cut down trees. They're very, very active. Um, introduced to them uh, what the West thinks are brilliant technological innovations, like a motor for your boat. Uh, now they don't paddle. Uh, they're very sedentary. Uh, they're overweight, they're obese, and they are uh, you know, suffering from type 2 diabetes. And that's a familiar story of colonization of indigenous cultures and giving them our technological innovations, which make them more sedentary. And then that reveals the pathological side of carbohydrates when you're not doing enough to, uh, to burn them and store them. So now you turn them into fat and, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's sort of, that's a, that's a really complex answer to your question, but take home point. I think some people can be okay. I don't think it's a prescription for optimal, uh, uh, health for everybody, but some people can do it. Um, and, uh, you know, in in human physiology, never say never.
0: Yeah. It's actually crazy. Like how often you look at the human body and how, really adaptable is. it is i mean you only need to look at something like uh, vaccines and covid for an example of just like some people just deal with it really well and how variable yeah. it can be as well so uh, that's, that's super interesting um yeah i guess if i was to push you for an answer for that bodybuilder who was looking to get as much muscle growth as, as possible and they're eating 600 grams of carbs and from that they're getting maybe 200 grams of I don't know, but uh, yeah, that sounds like too much, maybe. No, maybe it could be 200 grams of like a, a protein from those carbohydrates. And the only yeah. way, maybe 200 grams, should they be pushing more than 200 grams of uh, sorry, protein within their diet?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the, the short answer is it would be an experiment for them yeah, to undertake right. to see whether they could do it and whether it had an impact I'm very quick to point out with our meta-analysis, and as much as I talk about protein, I always say to people like the fundamental basis of gaining muscle and everything is still going to the gym on a regular basis. That gets a lot of the the job done. And then protein adds a sort of thin slice on top. So, you know, if this is an individual looking to you know achieve or bodybuild and compete and everything like that then chances are, uh, I'd say, you know, try some extra protein, see if it's good for you. If this guy is like, you know what, I really prefer that it be, you know, plant-based protein. There are plenty of alternatives, you know, a decade ago, it was much tougher. It was really, I could really only say soy, but now we've got pea, we've got rice, we've got hemp, we've got, you know, like it just, the list is, is pretty extensive and insect protein. If you choose, um, so, yeah, why not? Like, uh, you know, we're, we're all, a, we're all a, a small study of N of 1, and, um, you know, you have to be careful to uh, establish cause and effect with the things that you do. But, you know, I, I've heard the expression. I think it's a little bit intellectually lazy, but it works for me Right? is, you know, how do you, how do you counter that, right? I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> go for it, man. You know, it's. Uh, I always try to say, like, I'm not a dietician. And I'm not a nutritionist. So I try not to be prescriptive in what to tell people to eat. I just say, this is the science. Now you make an informed decision. So it's, you know, um, I'll tell you what I think and and what the science shows. And then, but it's up to you.
0: Fast, efficient fat loss. Does that sound like music to your ears? The mini-cut movement might just be for you. Mini-cuts are like robbing the fat bank. You want to get in and out with as much fat as possible. In a short period of time, you could easily look to lose 6 to 12 pounds of fat. The mini-cut movement is excellent. There's group support for extra accountability and also expert help within the group. We have educational videos to keep you on track along the way and you get all your nutrition and training customized and individualized for you. So if that sounds of interest, get involved with the mini cup movement. That makes a lot of sense. That really gives me um, kind of vibes that Brad Schoenfeld very much gives me as well, where he's very much like, I can only give you the science. I can't give you yeah. like he, he doesn't like to kind of go yeah. too far yeah, no, from no, Brad, the science.
1: Brad and I, philosophically, Brad and I agree uh, on a lot of things. Uh, there's some things we disagree on, but we agree to disagree. But we, I don't think either of us is pushing, you know, this is the way to do things. It's yeah. just a way to do things. And so that's that's an important distinction. And, you know, I, I try not to be too dogmatic. Uh, about what it is that I say, but I'm like, look, look, this is the science. I'm like, if if you have something that's contrary to this, that I don't know of, I said, please share it, because that's, you know, it's hard to knock me off my opinion, my pedestal, my pedestal but, you know, I wouldn't be a good scientist if I didn't say, you know, that, that, that I could change my mind, and plant-based proteins are an example where you know, ten years ago, I would have said no. Nah, I wouldn't. You know, don't bother with that. But over time now, I have I've begun to soften on that because I think the differences are smaller and smaller. To be honest yeah. with you,
0: fantastic, cool. So the the next question I had kind of uh, comes from your IOC consensus statement: dietary supplements and the high performance athlete. And yeah. uh, there was a few in there that I think would be... I, they've not actually, from my knowledge, been covered on the podcast at all. I mean, I should know okay. I'm the host, so I don't think yeah. I've ever asked anyone. Like, we're already over 200 episodes and we still haven't answered, yeah. like, got into these supplements. Sure. And from what I've seen on social media, you have kind of a distinct opinion on some of these which i think will be helpful uh, to just like talk a bit about and you're quite passionate so yeah. one of them was uh, hmb so this oh, is H- one kind of i've seen out there and people will have heard of and potentially yeah. kind of used in various ways but i'd love to hear kind of what you think in terms of applying to that high performance athlete or a bodybuilder specifically because yeah. that's like our audience kind of where do you <laughs> see it
1: so uh, my disclaimer is that the IOC paper, which was a, a, a true achievement, and I mean, it was the International Olympic Committee's first acknowledgement that supplements were okay. Uh, prior to that, they said you just shouldn't take them, which wow. is mean, naive. Yeah. Um, that was a really tough paper to write. Uh, I was part of the writing team. Everybody on the author list was not, so there was a small number of us that wrote and drafted and everybody else put their input in. Uh, the pictures, every picture you see in that, I drew, and I can tell you that one of them went through 38 rounds of revision. Whoa. So <laughs> Yeah. So it took a long time, and it was a big, like, it's just a series of disagreements and agreements, and, you know, what can we say, and is it A-plus evidence, B-plus evidence? So you come down, and you've got caffeine, creatine, bicarbonate, protein powders, and uh, like sports electrolyte drinks, and then, you know, it sort of drops off. Uh, Just squeaking in uh, would be nitrates. So, you know, beet juice or whatever. I say, I would say a strong B plus is like beta alanine. And and now that we were, you know, fast forward three or four years, I think beta alanine would get into the A category. Uh, After that, it drops off pretty sharply and we get B plus, we get B grade, we get C grade, and then we get sort of, you know, just don't even bother. Uh, In the don't even bother category, to me, that's where HMB lives. So, uh, Beta-hydroxy-beta-methylbutyrate is a, a, a chemical analog that is the, I'll call it a cousin, of uh, the essential acid leucine, and they signal through and activate all of the same uh, what we call uh, canonical signaling pathways. Uh, they don't really, they don't really have different mechanisms. The only thing is, is that HMB um, you can you can consume a small amount of it, and it can have its effect, and it's excreted but uh, leucine participates in a lot of other metabolic reactions. So you would need to consume ostensibly anyway, more of it. At least that's what the people uh, at Abbott Nutrition who uh, have rights to the patent, which is owned by a, a guy named Steve Nissen, who still does studies on uh, HMB and publishes them. Um, and my take is that it's, uh, it's dressed up leucine. Um, when we've compared the two head to head, like equally, uh, the same weight, I was going to say equi-weighted, I think the you know, equivalent weights of HMB to leucine and in individuals and done these like astonishingly difficult undulating periodized training programs, we see absolutely no difference between them. And I think that that's backed up now by a series of meta-analyses um, looking at the effect of HMB and the effect of it compared to like, you know, uh, carbohydrate, which is a true placebo, because it's a sugar pill, is trivial. Um, when you line it up and compare it in people who are consuming adequate protein, so that would be twice the RDA, about 1.6 grams per kilo, uh, the effect is non-existent. So save your money.
0: Yeah, I know the only th- kind of a bit of talk that i'd seen some bodybuilders having for its use was there's some research and you may be referring to some of this research kind of the sarcopenia like it delays it's been shown to potentially delay sarcopenia and so some bodybuilders have been using it in dieting phases to try and retain more muscle do you think that's is there anything to that
1: I don't think so. Uh, sarcopenia and the loss of muscle during dieting phases, they're not, they're not the same mechanisms for how muscle gets lost. Uh, aging and inactivity is really the, the, the two main drive, like the aging process. And inactivity are the two main drivers of sarcopenia, where, the, where caloric restriction uh, is the main driver of muscle loss when you're trying to cut body fat. Uh, the, the main issue there is, is that the, by far, and I mean like by a country mile, the biggest driver for you to hang on to muscle mass during a cut, cutting phase is to lift weights. High ER protein can add a little bit more, uh, but there's not actually nothing out there to show that HMB helps you retain muscle mass while you're in a caloric deficit. So uh, if you're thinking the two are the same, uh, I categorically disagree. They're fundamentally different. And, um, people also tell me who intermittently fast, they say, you know, oh, I take HMB or I take BCAAs and I'm like, well, then you're not fasting, yeah. you know, you, like a fast means like n- nothing, NPO, nil per os, you know, uh, water, uh, black coffee, uh, diet Coke, even that has some amino acids in it. And if it's, you know, phenylalanine and, uh, aspartame, um, and I say, so, you know, you're not intermittently fasting, you're, you're spiking your fast with little little protein containing meals. And they're like, Oh, well, you know, it's only a small amount. And I said, how much muscle do you think you like, if you didn't eat for 24 hours, how much muscle do you think you would lose? And and, and I say this, and they go, I don't know, like a 100 grams, I'm like, about five, five grams. So, you know, there's the, the lid off of my, my chapstick here. That's about how much muscle you lose. And, and they go, Oh, like, well, you know, I want to hang on to everything you got. And I'm like, you know, if you added this up for a hundred days, you couldn't even measure it on a, on a scale. So, uh, you know, if you think you're preventing muscle loss by taking BCAA or leucine, I think, you know, you, you're, you're a little bit delusional about what it is you think you're losing.
0: Yeah no that that's nice it also fits my bias a little bit because i have tried hmb before in a powder form and it was just one of the worst things i've ever tasted in my life uh so it probably is bad it makes sense yeah. it's partnered with leucine because yeah. leucine's pretty bad well, too l- l-
1: leucine and hmb so if, you know, if you lined up 20 containers of the amino acids and i know people don't do this but you know these are the kind of things we do in my lab and you kind of and you're like hmm, that one's kind of sweet and you're Mm, this one's a little bit bitter and like the sulfur amino acids are like oh that's like a rotten egg right you get to leucine and you're like whoa damn it's just it's as bitter as bitter can be like if you you know it's it's just yeah so it's not an easy one to disguise from a food additive standpoint and and what you know and hmb is the same and i'm like because it's uh it's structurally and metabolically pretty much just a
0: cousin of leucine
1: so the, the real question is why people would ever expect for it to be that much more effective than leucine.
0: Yeah, for sure. And actually, I mean, you've you mentioned BCAAs, so it'd be great to. I mean, BCAAs are way more kind of prolific within the bodybuilding industry as a whole yeah. versus HMB. I mean, HMB is tiny compared to it. So, yeah, what what's your opinion on the application of BCAAs?
1: Well, you know, branch chain amino acids. uh, So you've got uh, leucine, we've already talked about isoleucine and valine, and they all are structurally similar by this branch chain. Uh, I think you can trace the origins of the use of these amino acids back to some very early experiments in the 60s where uh, people were taking muscles out of rats, putting them on a little clip and then dropping them into a bath and bubbling oxygen through this bath to keep them alive. So it's, it's what we call ex vivo, so outside of the animal, and you're studying the metabolism. So one thing to be clear, as soon as you take a muscle out of a, out of a rodent and you put it in a bath, it's, it's dying. So it's, it might be a slow death. You can probably sort of prop it up by bubbling oxygen and giving it the right nutrients. And what people noticed is if you put it in a medium without amino acids, like it just it 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 leaked amino acids into the into the medium uh, very quickly. So protein breakdown was going crazy, and you know it's it's dying, the muscles dying. So that's what it does. But when you include and they threw in the branch chains, uh, so isoleucine, leucine, valine. It, did, it, it didn't die as quickly. So they appeared to sort of sustain it. Um, and the reality is, I think if you, instead of including all three branch chains, you've just thrown in leucine, uh, you would have got the same effect. So there's one branch chain that matters, and that's leucine. And we now know that it, you know, it's the key amino acid that you can just feed people leucine and stimulate new muscle protein synthesis it doesn't last long because you need all of the other essentials. But if you feed leucine plus the other two branch chains, you don't get any greater effect. So it's all due to leucine. And you know the other two are just kind of there along for the ride. And in fact, we have a study uh, where we looked at rates of muscle protein synthesis, and we had a little bit of protein, and we added leucine. And this little bit of protein then began to look like a four times the dose of of protein. So it made a small dose look like a big dose. When we added the little bit of protein and we added the same amount of leucine, but then the other two branch chains, we didn't get that effect. So, you know, our interpretation, and this is a hypothesis, we're not really sure, um, is that the other two branch chains, what we do know is they all use the same transporter to get in and out of the, the gut. And in and out of the cell. So we think when you're you've got leucine and these other two in there in high amounts, they all compete for you know for the same sort of gate or door to get into the cell. And so it reduces the relative effectiveness
0: of the one that you really want to get in, which is leucine. Very interesting. And I I guess then the people So
1: branch chains, save your money. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's. I mean, I think a lot of people, hopefully, especially people listening to this podcast, kind of have the opinion that it's as long as you're eating your total protein by the end of the day mm-hmm. from a kind of like you don't need the BCAAs, it's not going to add anything there. And right. in situations, there could be actually whey protein or a complete protein source is, may even be better, a better option. Oh yeah,
1: you know, whole proteins and whey, you know, sort of you know king of the heap or whatever. But I mean, even like you know, even food could. Goodness me, you know, um, a chicken breast, uh, you know, a couple of eggs, uh, you know, a scoop of whey protein mixed with milk, you know, I, like you're you're over the top anyway. So brands change then. It's it's just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's pixie dust, right? So it uh, doesn't really do much after that. You've already done, you've got the magic in the tanks, no problem.
0: And you mentioned they have calories, which is something I think people just... I mean, and yeah. supplement companies completely have got round this somehow, and I don't really understand yeah. it. But they don't need to say it has calories. But yeah,
1: it's it's a labeling quirk uh, that allows you to say that um, amino acids are are calorie less. They're they're energy, they're devoid of energy. Uh, and I always ask people, I'm like, so, you know, what are they like? I mean, if they're if they're calorie less, then Essentially, it's the reverse of solving the, the energy crisis. I mean, if we can find <laughs> calorie-free foods, uh, then there must be some foods that sort of you know, have, have more calories than they really contain or something like that. Um, otherwise, if we ate a whole protein uh, diet um, and it were just composed of amino acids, then theoretically we, we would die. Um, but you know, p- patients in the ICU and other places uh, don't. Uh, but yes of course branch chains contain calories so it's a labeling quirk that allows them to be labeled as containing no calories but that's just bunk
0: and i guess to the converse to bcaas in some ways eaa's i don't think they were covered necessarily in this but i don't know if you have any opinions around the application of eaa's some people have kind of moved towards now using those instead do you see any application
1: uh, you know, EAAs are, are convenient. Um, they work uh, because now you've got all, all of the nine essentials and the non-essentials your body can make as well. So you've got all the 20 uh, amino acid building blocks that you need to build muscle or um, bone protein or, or you know, heart protein or whatever you want to say, any protein in your body. Uh, so they work. Uh, they um, to me, uh, they're a useful sort of, I, I would use them more, I call it a crutch, you know, so in, in situations where you can't get to uh, eating some protein, uh, or you're, you know, you're in a, a meat or a race where you're way out in the middle, and you just, you don't have access to it, you can rip open one of these sachets, you can mix it and good, be good to go. Um, I don't think people, it's not a good idea to just have essential amino acids because that's where some people go is that they just say, oh, well, that's all I need. Um, we're still the, st- the science and the study hasn't been done where we do that experiment, where we just take people and we only feed them essential amino acids for, right. a, for a long period of time. And we see whether, um, in reality they, they can be okay. So it now we do have to then feed people, um, Essential fatty acids, which they which they need only a small amount, and I'll hands down admit that you don't need to have carbohydrate. Although I think it's beneficial if you're being active. Um, what happens? And the short answer is we don't know. The theory is is of course if you're giving all the essential amino acids, you should be okay. Mm. Uh, but we don't know. Um, but uh, I have a good friend named Luke Van Loon, who's... Uh, right, yep. if You've never had him on the show. I'd, I'd highly recommend him. He's a researcher okay. in, in the Netherlands from Maastricht University. And uh, he would love to do that that study. He tells me all the time. <laughs> we, we, we bounce studies off each other and we keep saying we should collaborate. The problem yeah. is we're both like, you know, trying to race to the top, so to speak. And so we, we chat at meetings and we, we have probably, I think, somewhere between 20 and 30 studies that we should do together. Wow. Um, but, you know, give me 28 hours in a 24 hour day. We'll, we'll,
0: we'll talk. Yeah. And I know he, I have heard of his name actually. So I'll have yeah. to have a look to, to bring him on. And yeah. so it sounds like EAAs are a step above BCAAs in terms Absolutely. of. Absolutely. No, I mean, they,
1: they, they do the job and there's no, yeah. I, there's no doubt in my mind that they support a full protein synthetic response and, uh, you know, I did my postdoc training with with Bob Wolf, and you know, Bob trained myself, Kevin Tipton, uh, Blake Rasmussen, Eleanor Volpe, Doug Patton Jones, like all of the protein gang. Don Lehman did a sabbatical with Bob. I mean, he's sort of like the grandfather of all of us, if you like, in terms of science training. And I I, I owe him a a great deal uh, for shaping my worldview and understanding of protein and he has a a, an essential amino acid supplement and a patent on it and um it it works there's no there's no question about that
0: do you think there's any application for it if you have like the option between that and like a whey protein again is there any reason you'd have an eaa over the whey protein in that scenario
1: yeah so i'm gonna pit i'm gonna bat for whey um it's not influenced by my industry ties to the whey industry. It's really mainly influenced by, uh, to be honest with you, the taste profile of whey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in an era where all protein powders came from Joe Weeder. And, you know, we owe the Weeder brothers a tremendous debt. They, they took what was an obscure, you know, sport in, in, in one tiny area of California and turn bodybuilding into an international uh, event and uh, there's a lot of things that and you know that i owe them credit for they're canadian (laughs) um, by birth and uh the but the the one thing is is that the weed supplements so they ate was egg uh milk or a beef supplement and all of them were mix it with water or whatever you wanted. You had to mix it with something, but so you try to mix it with something and then you'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just drink it. And so, you know, now uh, whey protein to me, it's like drinking, you know, cake or, yeah, you know, you know uh, cr- cookies and cream or like it's it's like vanilla chocolate, you name it. Like, I mean, I, I have favorite flavors, but all of them taste yeah outstanding (laughs) ea's um essential amino acids are they're not always the most pleasant tasting there's always a it's like drinking a can of uh, a boost or ensure which i'm sure you know people are familiar with and you you drink it and you're like that's not bad but there's there's something a little and and the best word my son says it's there's something funky in that and i'm like (laughs) yeah that's funky that's it yeah he goes there's some I don't, what is that? And I'm like, I think it's the vitamins and the minerals. But when you get the amino acids, you do have to have the sulfur amino acids. So there's that little, I'm like, hmm, I'm getting a sour egg note on that. One. <laughs> or, you know, it's just a, or a rotten egg note on that one. And and And, and yeah, so. But, I get. but equivalent, when you compare them head to head, it's hard to know how to compare them. Do you get the same amount of essential amino acids in the whey, which means you get way more yeah. protein in the whey? It's easy to make whey jokes, but uh, or do you match them, in which case you have to have much lower whey protein compared to the essential amino acids? Mm. Because, you know, so, you know, head to head, there are some studies Um and it seems to show that the EAAs are, are better, but I think it's, you know, it's depending on how you do it. So if you say we're going to match essential amino acid profile, then we have to drop the total amount of whey protein compared to the EAAs. So yeah. then is it a truly a, a, an apples to apples comparison as opposed to a, or I would say apples and oranges, but, you know, Granny Smith versus uh, Macintosh or something yeah. like that.
0: Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. That makes a lot of sense. And I guess the only thing I was thinking is maybe for a vegan, having those EAAs and having that, supplementing some meals, that could be something really helpful for vegans really looking to optimize.
1: Yeah, yeah. And some people have asked about, you know, what about supplementing uh, leucine uh, for vegans? Yeah. And I, I'm sort of like, yeah, in theory, it makes sense. Although most of the trials where they just given leucine haven't come up with a positive outcome, but nobody studied it in vegans. But certainly, if you're deficient in amino acids, you know, maybe the essentials could help. But, you know, bear in mind that paper I mentioned about, you know, the cellulose being an important prebiotic to, cultivate your microbiota that that is you know sort of compensating for those EAAs but you know is it to get you to sort of you know just being not deficient yeah or is it beyond and 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 that's a question we we don't know the answer to yeah
0: very interesting and then hopefully we have time to cover off and I know this is one you're also passionate about is collagen because that for whatever reason in the last year or so really exploded in the industry, well, throughout lots of different industries, in fact, uh, but for the the, the bodybuilder, the, the sports person, does collagen right. have any application for us?
1: So, and I hate to be the person that just, you know, what I do is, you know, crush everybody's dreams or something like this. But so, collagen, just to be really clear about where collagen comes from. So, you go to a, a rendering plant, you have the carcass of an animal. Uh, they strip all the meat off of it and what's left over are you know there's the skin and the bones and you can google rendering plant and look for images and it gives you a pretty clear idea of what it is so in the past we took this these bones and the skin um took it to a factory boiled it up made it soft crushed it and put it into things like you know pet food because there is, you know, I think it's a, a newsflash for a number of people to realize that your bones are 40% for the most part by composition protein. They're not just, it's not just a stick of chalk like calcium, you know, uh, and the protein is collagen and uh, skin is, you know, it's elastic, right? So it's, you know, it's stretchy, it's got collagen in it. Your hair is collagen, your nails are collagen. And um, so we would take all of these things, and we would boil them up. We would put them in pet food. We also got sort of gelatinous stuff out of it that was we found was sticky. You can make adhesives. You can do it in all kinds of things. They would put it into cosmetics to make give it a consistency. Everything else like that, and a lot of it, you know, was also used as uh, protein waste. So, you know, uh, you chuck it on farmers' fields as a source of nitrogen for fertilizer. And then, you know, somebody obviously had the brilliant sort of notion that, you know, our bones and our collagenous tissues, our tendons and our ligaments um, are, are made of collagen. So maybe to fuel the collagen or to, to rebuild the collagen in your body, you you should eat collagen. And and that's sort of, you know, it grew out of there. I mean, it's it's a marketing coup, right? And then you begin to generate, you know, sort of just, So, so marketing drives it first, and that's just beat the drum, you know, with messages collagen for your skin, collagen for your wrinkles, collagen for your joints, collagen for your, and the next thing is collagen for your muscle. Uh, And then the collagen industry folks sponsor a number of people to do studies um, who have ties to collagen institutes, which I'm not sure what those are. And it's, Uncanny how many positive results the collagen industry can can generate, and then it sort of spreads beyond there. People, you know, drop collagen on cells, and cells do stuff that make it look sort of collageny. Uh, you know, so you've got a tendon sort of thing in a in a dish, and it's like, look at the look at what collagen does. And I'm like, well, you now if you drop sugar on a uh, on a cell in a dish, it does something, right? So. You know, if you got nothing, you drop something, it generally does something, you know. So anyway, you know, fast forward and, and now it's a, uh, it's a worldwide uh, phenomenon. Uh, collagen is creeping into a lot of protein supplements because on the label, you can officially call it protein because it is. It's a very low quality protein. In fact, its quality score is zero because it doesn't contain one essential amino acid, which is tryptophan. Um, that may not mean much because you don't need much tryptophan, uh, and so maybe it's not a rate-limiting amino acid. But it certainly does speak to the fact when you know leaders in the collagen industry recently published a paper saying you could take a very high-quality protein like milk protein, and you could substitute thirty percent of the quantity of milk protein with collagen. And it would still have a protein quality score that would allow it to be labeled high quality protein. so read between the lines we can take a good protein, dilute it with a crappy protein, and still have a a fairly good protein so um, I think that's the most blatant admission uh, of the the reality, which is uh, our protein is low quality, and it's it's a it's a filler uh, for. Uh, you know, good quality protein collagen by itself, uh, I seriously question that it can do anything, but there are data out there. Uh, it's in the public domain. Um, i I don't know how the results were obtained because i'm I'm not privy to that, but we we challenged one paper with a letter to the editor in which older men gained, and you'll appreciate this. In a space of twelve weeks, with a protein supplement that gave them thirty grams of collagen per day, uh, seven kilos of they call it they call it muscle. It's not. It's it's fat and bone free mass. And so seven kilos in twelve weeks. So that's uh, quickly do the math. It's about fifteen pounds of muscle in twelve weeks, and that's the amount of muscle. Like the in in all of the studies we had. Ever done in my 23 now years at McMaster, we've seen gains like that once or twice in young men, and they're just you know you can almost watch them—they almost yeah. grow before your eyes, right? Like they just—it's astonishing—and and, you know so clearly they had some genetic predisposition, or they were sneaking an exogenous supplement on the side. We don't think they were, but for you to have that as a group mean and, and a group of older sarcopenic men. I don't believe it. Our letter, we challenged the notion, zero reply, nothing. Says it all. Well, you know, h- how do you come back and say, yeah. you know, well, we think this because you're devoid of an answer because
0: uh, you, you don't have one. Absolutely. So,
1: you know, and I, and I hate to be sort of accusatory or anything, but let's, just, let's yeah. just look at the science.
0: No, I mean, everyone listening, I think, will appreciate you for that and for being honest and again, being true to the science there. And I think just a, a quick question, I think some people do still think there could be some benefits to joints and things like this. Is there yeah. support for that?
1: Yeah, so uh, that again, uh, when you go and you really look for the data, uh, the data, you know, so human clinical trials and patients who have joint issues, so osteoarthritic patients, um, you know, people who have knee pain, joint pain, whatever it is like that, it seems there might be some data, but they, there are now meta-analyses on this, and the, and the meta-analyses show um, you do get a, some change in pain, but it reverts fairly quickly, and so it's sort of a transient effect. So if you follow the the supplement pain literature in the area of something like NEOA, which is a very you know very common affliction, um, you know ten years ago uh, it was all about uh, glucosamine and chondroitin. And there was an initial hype, lots of big clinical trials, positive findings, and then more clinical trials. And, you know, and it sort of waned over the and and now it's the American College of Rheumatology or the Canadian Rheumatology Society uh, would say, with glucosamine and chondroitin now, try it, see how it works. And if it does alleviate pain, keep taking it. I think it depends on the quality of the chondroitin that you get. And if it if it works for you, yeah, uh, then hey man, like if it if it, t- it takes pain away in your in your knees and it's it's not hurting you, which I you know don't think chondroitin or glucosamine does, except maybe your pocketbook. Um, then go for it, man. Why would you not? I I, yeah. I suffer from knee OA, and and why would I not? That glucosamine does very little for me, uh, so I choose not to take it. I just manage the pain with ice and, you know, accept it. Um, But I have tried collagen as well, uh, on and off, and so I've done this sort of A, B, A, B, like does my pain go down, up, down, up, and I, I get zero effect out of it now. So maybe that's part of my bias on this whole thing, but it does appear that it sort of nudges the needle enough to say that there might be something there. Okay. But is it is it the the answer to to neoA? I, I think if I were to compare it to um, you know rehabilitative exercise and sticking with programs that keep you physically active in terms of and and it it would be purely resistance training to make you stronger, as opposed to saying, go for you know ten k walks every day, which is a ridiculous idea, I think, for neOA patients then I think I stick with the exercise. And then people say, well, what about exercise plus the supplement? And I say, it's a good idea. I said, someone should do independent from the collagen industry, some good science around that.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know you've got some busy plans uh, to get to, and I just want yeah, to say, I'm sorry, massive- it's, you know, the,
1: the days, if, <laughs> like I said, find me 28 hours in the 24 hour day and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll talk some more, but you know, I, I'd i be happy to pop on at a, another time and uh, we, uh, we can talk again. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I say these things and, and I, I honestly feel like I, I, I upset some people because I, uh, I burst some bubbles and, and, and I, I apologize for that in the sense that, um, I'm sure disappointment is always a, a it's a powerful thing to walk away with and that that is not always fun. But as I said, you know, this is science. This is the, this is the science. I don't I don't get money from collagen people. I don't get I get grant money from whey protein people. But you know, that you can go and look for the science if you want. But I'm trying to just summarize it for you. So I hope that people take away that it's a science-based answer that I'm or evidence-based answer that I'm giving them. And, uh, it's not just me, you know, lining my own pockets. Yeah. I have a good job. I have a good life. Uh, I do. Okay. Uh, I don't have a private Island somewhere. I, I, I don't fly in a private jet.
0: Uh, my milk goes sour, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm a real person, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think people will really appreciate it. And yeah, if, if I can get you back on, I think we can talk about maybe some more positive things that will leave people feeling pretty uh, good or uh, very interested as well. We need to talk
1: about, what we need to talk about, in my opinion, is just how great exercise it is. Yeah. You know what? It's a no-brainer, but nobody makes money off of it. But it's such, it's just, you know, you and I can have a big love in about how, Know, what we could do if everybody if only everybody exercised uh sure. you know forget the supplements i'm like just get yeah. active <laughs> that's Absolutely. Uh, that's you know, and that's that's a true uh true passion of mine for
0: sure what to the the nadolsky brothers exercises medicine that hey, um, slogan
1: those guys uh those guys do good work man they yeah. they i uh spencer cracks me up uh, <laughs> the instagram memes are are Uh, Yes, a a source of great jocularity in my house, for sure.
0: (laughs) And on that note, I just want to make sure if people want to learn more about you, learn learn more about kind of your studies, look into any of that, where should they head?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter as MackinProf, so M-A-C-K-I-N-P-R-O-F, same handle on Instagram. You can find me at smphillips or smp.phd on Facebook. Uh, If you type in Stuart Phillips and McMaster, you generally get me. If you type in Stuart Phillips and do a search on Google, there's another Stuart Phillips, quite famous, wrote musical scores for years on for television and movie and is uh, well-celebrated. And in your neck of the woods, another Stuart Phillips, who is, I think, rumored to have given the most expensive haircut in the world. He has a salon <laughs> in London. Uh, he's uh, he's a good-looking dude. And one of these days, I'm going to go in and he's going say, I want to get my hair cut by Stuart Phillips. <laughs> I said, because I am the real Stuart Phillips. <laughs> well,
0: Amazing. Yeah. I'll make sure that's all linked below. And again, thank you guys for listening. And thank you, Stu. Take care. My my
1: my pleasure. Uh, my, my last, my parting words are, are, are to, you know, say to everybody, uh, stay safe, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, get a vaccine and, and, uh, we'll see you on the other side of this, uh, We got through the whole thing without saying COVID, uh, but yeah. I I think I mentioned it. On (laughs) the other side of this pandemic story, (laughs) you know, I just blew it. Sorry.
0: (laughs) So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pasko Floor, I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably, roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people, Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is develop your membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within on our little niche it is gonna be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there, you can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also gonna be Courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well, we'll start vlogging, we're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey, furthermore they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We Kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're going to be delivering is huge and I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.